0: Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. The vision of our church isn't just a vision statement. Our vision statement is uh, to grace the nations, uh, and we'll unpack that. But it has to be worked out in our lives. A, a, A statement alone, making a statement by itself, a logo or branding, whatever, in in marketing. It's not enough just to market something. You have to live it. You have to become it. And and that's part of what I want to do this morning is is impart into you uh, the vision of our church so that you can start to step it out and see what it is that God wants this particular church to do. And uh, we are called to do something here on the Sunshine Coast. Now, there's something uh, that's a, a huge revelation. It was a big revelation in my life that it's more about who we're becoming than what we're called to do. I'm going to say that again, because it is honestly it's, it's, it's the backbone of Christianity. It's who you're becoming, not what you're doing. And, and that's played out so much in Scripture with Martha, Mary. Uh, all the works based, works versus grace, of course, and grace is, is, is uh, our, our vision. It's, it's not what, you're just going to do a bunch of stuff. It's who you become, and in, in fact, whose you are becoming. It's more about the who the, than the do. So many times we get into, uh, what are we going to do? Well, that's good. Your do will come out of your who. So as you're following the who, the big who, the big Kahuna, <laughs> as you're following God, you're becoming like Him, and that's the whole object of Christianity. So, what is He like? Well, now we got something, don't we? There's a whole book called the Bible that looks at the character of God and and who it is that we're being formed into. Now, I want to um, really unpack this morning's message with. our our whole series, and I've called it This Is Us, because there's a big part of being a Christian in church life that is about the individual for sure. I, I was saved individually in a hotel room in San Diego, California back in 1977. But there's a corporate life that God's called all of us together to do something that's amazing. In the world of sports and business, and you'll see this over and over again, in fact, there's an acronym, uh, T-E-A-M, team, together. Come on, everyone can achieve more. Everybody knows that. There's something about synergies. The, the, The sum of all the parts are greater than the individual parts when you see a, a sporting team, or whether it's rowing or basketball or rugby or whatever, when you see people working together in unity, then God commands the blessing. In fact, Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, because there, where? There, when they're in unity, God commands the blessing that can work uh, to be unified around an evil cause as well, I might add. You can look at nations that have gone on trying to conquer the world, destroying humanity when they get together. There's just something. God, when He saw them building a tower up to heaven, He he looked at it, and and they said, man, we can do anything. God said, you can do anything. Therefore, I'm going to wipe that thing clean, because their purpose was wrong. They were building the big eye, look at me, look at what I'm going to do, D-O, instead of looking at the who and what he's already done. So it's so hard for us as humans to get along and to work together towards anything. I don't know if you ever noticed that in life. Unless there's like money involved. Then it's amazing. People get together in unity when there's money like nothing else. But when it's character forming, when Christ is going to be formed On the inside of you and there's no monetary reward in it all of a sudden now this becomes a real challenge because we think in terms of wifm what's in it for me in fact i say this if christianity was a radio station the call sign would be wifm you've got a what's in it for me kind of thing well it's not about what's in it for you. It's what's in it for somebody else. And the whole essence of Christianity isn't what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. And, and it's all about looking at other people and saying, man, I, I, I believe in you. I, I want to encourage you. I want to step out. There's a whole city right here. We're in the middle of it. That's why we're called City Church. We were called City Church before Merichidore, really the Sunshine Coast was considered a city. Now it's starting to grow. It's a city now. It's growing all around us. There's buildings going up. There's population moving. It's a beautiful place on earth. But there's a church in the middle of a city. What's it called to do? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're called to light up our city. Well, what are we going to light it up with? Well, the glory of God, the presence of God. But that has to be carried within the individual believer, that's you and I. If we don't carry that, we got nothing to carry to our city. There's nothing that's gonna happen in our city until we carry something. The presence of God will light up not only your life, but the whole city around and people will look and they'll go. There's something different about those people, that church that's down there in the middle of the city. There's something about city church that's a light To our city. We're encouraged when we meet those people. Now, we've got a lot of that going on. And I'm excited about that. I I run into people frequently and they'll go, "Uh, so what church do you go to? I've heard about that church. In fact, I met somebody that goes there and and they, they really encouraged me. They had some good things to say. There's something about them. That's a testimony that our city desperately needs. But that won't happen unless we have a common vision and, and, and unless we're focused upon the right well the right person not just the doing bit so this is us this series this month where we're looking at our vision that, that is what we see corporately together that we can achieve more. It's very strategic that we understand the outworking of that instead of just going strictly uh, quickly to a to-do list. We're going to plant this. We're going to have these numbers and numerics. We're going to do, do, do. It's the hoo 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 that will determine the you, you, and, and the do, do. understand that? All right. So I'm, I'm, I'm just excited about that. And we're going to be looking at vision and mission and culture. And and, and, and this is us. And, um, and, and gracing the nations, our, our vision, that's what we see, will be outworked through our mission. So mission determines whether you're going to achieve the vision. You have to walk towards whatever it is that you see. And as you're walking toward that to achieve that, that that achieve, achievement is called mission. Mission is an action word. And to do that, we are raising generations. Right now, as I'm speaking, there's another generation in the room next to us that's being raised up by some champions, I might add. We've got our best that are uh, in the room next door, training up and raising up our children, which are vastly becoming teenagers, so that this, this next year we're going to have our youth group back Uh, We're going to have an amazing youth group. How do I know? Because I'm looking at the generation right now that's been raised up by diligent, uh, creative, dedicated people that carry our vision. In fact, most of them uh, were saved as teenagers, and and they've grown up here in this church. They were raised up. And so the Word of God is is into our our children, and we're going to see amazing things next year. But it's still about the who, not the do even though, yes, we're going to have a youth group. Yes, there's going to be a lot of things going on. It's who are these people that are raising up these other people, these little people, because everything reproduces after its own kind. So if you get complacent, could care less, uh, everything else, the world matters, but we're not following God. We're not, we're not uh, be formed from the inside out with God's character. If, if you get people like that, what are they going to reproduce? They're going to reproduce the same thing. They're going to reproduce blasé, lukewarm, take it or leave it, questioning faith all the time. God's not looking for that. God's looking for a people that will grab a hold of him, a people that are hungry, a people that want to be like him, a people that want to not just follow him, but lead other people into the goodness of God. Are you such a person? Now, if you're not, I've got some good news for you. Because there's hope. You can do it. I'm here to encourage. I'm like the guy that say, come on, get up. You're down on the mat. You've been knocked down by life or discouragement or whatever it is that knocked you down, but you're not knocked out. You're here, and that's, that's the starting point. So if you're here, get here. Occupy this space. Get some faith about you. Rise up, almighty oh man or woman of God. You can do it. It's not over yet. I, I, I think the, the most fearful thing would be it to, to fall into the hands of a god and here, not very well done with your life, pal. What did you do? You served yourself? Really? You took the space of a lifetime to serve you material things? Where are they? You're standing before God. They don't exist. You step out of material into spiritual from which all of that came from, and there's nothing there to to show for any of it When when, when God gives the big replay of your whole life this is what you did you served material things that don't even exist that's frightening to me i would rather go well i'm looking forward to my life review because i raised up some generations i helped reach some nations i i put the spiritual the kingdom of god above the material serving self I was there when the preacher preached i took a hold of the word of god i got some faith about me i saw that it wasn't about me it wasn't even about to do it was about the who and i'm so thankful jesus that that i look in the mirror and i see changes going on all the time i'm inspired by what god has given me through his spirit through his breath i don't need a g up a pump up I just want to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not serving myself. And if we can get enough people together to do that, wow, look out. I hear people say all the time, you know, where's the power of God? How come we don't see miracles? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? I think, yeah, why aren't you? Seriously, nobody else is going to do it for you. So, whatever excuses, drop the excuses. Start to focus upon Him. That's the vision of our church. The collective called the church is the body of Christ get with the rest of the body and start to do something together how good and how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity again Psalm 133 when they were together in one accord Acts chapter 2 they were all together in one accord they were in unity then the holy spirit rocked the room then the holy spirit rocked the world the reason the holy spirit isn't rocking a lot of our worlds cuz we can't get together in unity We're not fighting for anything commonly except our own little materialistic world with our own little small pathetic agendas, wondering why isn't it happening? (laughs) Well, it never will until we get together. Amen? So that's why we're doing this this whole month called This Is Us, not This Is Me. There's too much of This Is Me going on. And look at me. And people chasing fame and all that stuff. You know as well as I do, you fully know it's not going to last. It's snowflakes. I remember where I grew up in the Midwest, it would snow, but it was too hot really for the snow to stick around. And you'd look at it and you'd think, that's just beautiful. Look at that, all that white stuff coming down. It's covered the whole ground, all the trees and everything else. And the sun would come out and about five minutes later, it's all melted into slush and it's just a muddy mess it doesn't last. The only thing that lasts is if you're standing on the rock, and the rock don't move. The rock, the rock don't move. He's not moving, but if you're on, if you're not on him, you're on sifting sand. You're on sinking sand. You're in trouble. That's why we have to build everything upon the rock. The Bible says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, what? They labor in vain. God said I'll build my church. Jesus said, "I I will build, I will." I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There are gates in the city that right now are prevailing and they should not prevail. And it's up to us to let God move through us and to get the Christ character so strong that those gates have to come crushing down. Gates of poverty, gates of habits that so people are bound up in drugs and alcohol and pornography and every damnable thing. There are gates around people's minds and gates around this city that are only standing there because we're permitting it. It's time to stop permitting it. It's time to say, I can't do it by myself. I'm going to grab a hold of the hand next to me. The people that are part of my church, I'm going to grab a hold of their hands, and together we are marching into battle to take down the gates of this city it's not a church picnic. This is not a Sunday school picnic. The church isn't just, oh, it's a social club. No, it's not. It's a poor one if it is. We've got we've got purpose. We've got a vision. We've got strategies. We've got mission. We've got a culture. God wants you to know what that culture is and why you were created to be part of that. If you're part of this church, get in. Get in boots and all. Become part of the culture of this church. Become part of the mission so that we can see these things happen in our lifetime. I'm pumped about it because this is the reality. This is what God called me away from my home country. I left everybody, seriously, everybody that I know, friends, family, you name it. Goodbye to all of them to come to this place, seriously, to do something. I was living in a great city. San Diego, California was a great city, the best Mexican Beaches were fine. The weather was fine. The sports were fine. My friends were fine. My family that lived all over America were fine. They were within a short flight. When I came here, I came here for a purpose. I'm a missionary, seriously. I came here with purpose, not because, oh, it's a Sunshine Coast, a beautiful place to live. So are a lot of other places. God called us here, and then Gail and I both together. It was like a sovereign word from God, start a church. But there's already churches. Start a church that I've called you to start. I've got something for this city that's not here right now. When I rocked up, I looked around and I thought, where are the fathers of the faith here? I couldn't find anybody, really, seriously. It was terrible. (laughs) And and most of the older people that would come in, we started in a high school and Richard or there from scratch. The people that came in that were older, they were just trouble. They were problems, seriously. I had tall Dutch guys get in my face and tell me how great he was and how pathetic I was and everything else, and had these people come in with their own, like, agenda after agenda after agenda to the point where I got gun-shy. I thought, okay, here's another bunch of them. And where's the character in it? Where is the unity? Where is the, come on, let's go. Let's go for God. Let's do something. Where's the encouragement? And God said, well, it's there because I've called you to bring it. I've called you to raise it up. I've called you to raise up, Father. I've called you to be a father. Little did I know I was going to get old 33 years later still with this, with this church, persevering, seeing fathers of the faith, mothers of the faith, Brothers and sisters of the faith, our children now becoming 40 year olds and having children of their own. And and, and it goes on. It's a generational thing, and God's doing something in the city, but it starts with inside uh, uh, of each one of us, not a to do, but the who. And so that's where I I really want to go with this series. And I'm taking my time with it because uh, grace is all about that. Grace is about the mighty hand of God moving upon us, the hands of His ability. I look around, I think, we've got some ability here. But man, without God, we got nothing. God hands us ability beyond ourselves. That's what grace is. It's the divine ability, God enabling us to do what we can't do. But it all starts with vision. You see, God doesn't give provision or resources to somebody that has no vision. God gives provision to the vision. The vision again is what you see. When when Israel came out of Babylon, they were in Babylonian uh, captivity for four hundred and something years, and and when God called them out of there. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah and some of those uh, uh, amazing leaders that God raised up, they had a vision to go back to Jerusalem, reestablish the temple, rebuild the walls that were fallen down, and rebuild the fabric of faith in the nation of Israel. But they were a nation in captivity. And so so Ezra was one of them. He went to the king of Persia, Cyrus, and he said, I want to go back to Jerusalem, and I want to build. Now listen to what uh, and this is in Ezra chapter seven, verse six. I just want to show you what the, how important the hand of God is and and, 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 and the hand of God just doesn 't come upon anybody god 's hand will come upon this church in a way seriously that will seriously shake this city. But watch what happens Ezra seven verse six. this Ezra came up from Babylon. he was a teacher well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord the God of Israel had given, and the king had granted him everything he asked. Why? For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. The hand, the fivefold grace of God. Five is the number for grace. The hand of God was upon him. Why? Because he had a vision because he saw something, and provision flows into vision. That's why I'm spending this time in Ezra chapter 7, verse 28. Listen to this, in verse 28, and who has exalted his good favor? That favor again is grace to me before the king and his advisors, and all the king's powerful officials. Oh, we've got some power brokers on the sunny coast. We've got politicians. We've got sporting people. We've got people that are in power. But listen to this. All these advisors and powerful officials, because the hand Of the Lord my God was on me, Ezra says. I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go with me. He gathered leaders from the church to go with him and face these other powers. There's no power other than the power of God. There's no power that can stand up to the power of God. But that power flows through unity, people with a common vision. Look at chapter 8, verse 22. I was ashamed, Ezra says to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen. Why? To protect us from enemies on the road. Why? Why were you ashamed? Because we had told the king, the gracious, the grace, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. Are you looking to him? Are you looking to him this morning? Is it about the who or is it about the do? Is it, are you looking to him this morning? If you are, he says, the gracious hand of our God is on Everyone. Oh, man, I love that word, everyone. You know why? Because it includes me. Well, are you part of everyone? or Are you something else? Are you an alien from another planet? The hand of God is on everyone who looks to Him. But His great anger is against all. Everyone and all. Don't use those kind of, uh, you know, everyone and all. Don't use those kind of terms. His anger is against all, 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 all. Who forsake him. I think about Moses. Moses is the deliverer from Israel. And, 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 and he says, I don't have anything. God, who am I? God says in Exodus 4:2. Then the Lord says to Moses, What is that? In your hand. A staff, he replied, well, throw it down and that staff became a serpent. Pick it up. You've got authority, man. Come on. You can face Pharaoh. You can face Egypt. You can deliver people out of that. You can in the city. We can do it. Amen. Come on. God handed Moses the ability called grace, divine ability beyond himself anointing to do with Him. What you can't do without Him, I will build my church unless the gates of uh, the hell won't prevail. Unless I build it, uh, then there's nothing going to happen. And Luke chapter 4 won't go there, but uh, you know, Jesus gets up. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me. God has anointed you. The Spirit of God is upon you because God has anointed God. His power has come upon you to enable you to do what you cannot do. That's what grace is all about. That's why we're gracing the nations. That's why we're raising generations up to take on and reach nations is because the Spirit of God is upon me. I don't go out there in my own ability. Sure, I've got some abilities. I've got a business background, education, I've got some abilities for sure. You've got abilities. You go out with your ability, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get beat over the head. You're going to walk back with your proverbial tail between your legs, down and out. You come out with the anointing of God, the corporate anointing that comes upon a a group of people that can get it together a group of people that aren't wandering, constantly wandering, because they're offended everywhere, and they just keep going from one church to another, hoping somewhere nobody's going to offend them. Good luck to that one. Ain't going to happen. Looking for the perfect doctrine that lines up with your doctrine. Ain't going to happen. But if you're looking for God in all the right places, which sometimes looks like all the wrong places, And you're focusing on what is he doing in me character wise. Do you know what? Some of you need to get offended. Seriously, you need to get offended big time so you can learn forgiveness. I needed to get offended. I thank God that God called me into the ministry. I faced hell putting this, honestly, 33 years. There's been some major stuff come down here. People that I married did their funerals. You know, raised the, did everything for him, stab you in the back and walk away. Don't even say thank you. You think, wow, thanks God. Now I look back and I go, yeah, thank you, God. Yeah. You know why? Because he was betrayed. His beard was plucked out by the people that he created and he died for. He knows what rejection is all about. He was, he was a man of sorrow, as it says in Isaiah 53 well acquainted with grief, well acquainted with rejection. Yet He bore our sorrows. He took everything on the cross. He took it all. He says, well, well, the spirit of God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captives, re- recovering of sight to the blind, to, to preach the acceptable, the year of jubilee to people that, that are in prison. God has anointed us together to do something that's so amazing. I pinch myself and I go, God, did you really call me to do that? Have you really grown that much on the inside of me now that that what was at the beginning would have honestly made me want to cut and run? Now I look at it, "That's, that's child's play. I can't believe I was even upset about that. God is so good. God is so good because God is forging out some character on the inside of us. God is raising you up to reach nations. But unless you face the challenges, unless you face and are confronted with the spirits of darkness and overcome them through the blood of the Lamb, you won't have a testimony to overcome with. Unless you do it with the mighty hand upon you, you won't do it, and you won't have a testimony. We won't be a light in this city without the opposition. I think about Paul marched into Ephesus and said, don't go there. What are you doing? Now I'm going to go there. That's where they they worship Diana, the goddess of fertility. They got the seventh one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There, this massive statue to to Artemis, otherwise known as Diana. It's 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 there where the harbor when the boats come in. They all see it. This place is mad keen. They worship. They got trinkets and idols and, and 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 festivals and 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 the whole economy is built upon that. A little bit like some of our sports economy. Everything built, you know, horse racing, sports bet. Oh, gosh, give me a break. All the idols, sports of some kind, horse races, rugby's of every kind. Oh, good entertainment, but don't make it your idol. You start to worship that stuff, guess what? You might as well just go back and worship Diana. Seriously, it's not eternal. But, they, but, but, but he goes to Ephesus and he confronts the spirit of darkness there. The whole stadium's full. They're outraged. They want to rip him from limb to limb. They're saying, Paul, don't go there. No, that's exactly where I need to go. I need to go there and confront the, the, the powers of darkness head on not with my own strength, my own ability, but with the mighty hand of God, I will see Ephesus delivered. And they established a church there. They took down strongholds. The place was shaken there. He goes to city to city, and the church gets behind it, and and God's provision starts to flow into vision. But it doesn't flow unless there is vision. And this month, this is number two in our series, This Is Us, quite frankly, it's my job is just to stir up and to get us to see something bigger than our individual selfish selves and to start to rise up together and realize, is there not a cause for all of this? I don't want to leave our children, a city that's walls are torn down, devastated, bankrupt, spiritually, so to speak, even though a beautiful place aesthetically. I don't want to leave that legacy, but I, I know I'm not silly enough to think that, that it's just going to be me doing this whole thing. If, I, if, if, if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And the we is also the other churches, I might add, that are around. And so God's provision starts to flow. A man named Nehemiah comes in. Listen to Nehemiah 2. It says this in verse 8. Nehemiah's going to go in there now. Ezra's gone in now. Now God's sending Nehemiah to rebuild the temple And Nehemiah says, and may I have a letter from Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams, gates of the citadel by the temple of the city wall, and the residence I will occupy. And because the great, get this, because the gracious, the grace, the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. There is so much favor waiting for us right here in this city with vision, the gracious hand, uh, the grace of God, the grace of the nations. Verse 18, I also told them about, what did he tell them about? The gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start building. So they began this good work. It's all about divinely sourced provision for the vision God giving us what we don't deserve, enabling us to be great. Now, here's the thing. Greatness is not serving our own purpose. In fact, Matthew 23, says this, the greatest among you will be your servant. And now we start to think, okay, that's got to be a to-do list. Because if I want to be great, I got to be a servant, it means I got to get the to-do list out that God gives me and start working my way through that because I want to be great in the kingdom of God. He says, the greatest among you, let them be your servant. You cannot earn greatness. Greatness is not earned of the the result of serving. Greatness is still by grace. I'm going to say that again. Greatness is still by grace, even though the greatest among you will be serving others around them. 1 Peter 4 10 11 says this, it says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Did you catch that? As faithful stewards of what? God's grace, God's unmerited favor, God's divine ability giving you and us corporately what we don't have. Every one of you use the gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In this room right now, and if you're watching uh, on our our YouTube, you've got something to give. And that something was given to you. And the, the way that was given to you is called grace. You didn't earn it. It's unmerited. And its purpose of that is to serve others. Now, we think we're serving God, and we are, but very, very much by serving others, and that grace flows through friendship. Now, listen to this, and stay, stay close to this, because we're uh, in John 15. I know I've got some scriptures here, and I don't apologize for that, but John 15, verse 14. Listen to what Jesus says here. We just said we're supposed to be servants. We just read that, didn't we? We want to be great. Serve. Serve. Serve who? Others. Now listen to what God says, and here's the relationship about the who and not the do. John 15, you are my friends. Notice he doesn't call them servants. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because the servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you the advancement of the kingdom of god is through friendship number one with god and god's hand his mighty hand his hand of grace i preached on this last week his hand is outstretched i call that the divine handshake he's put his mighty hand out there in friendship so that there's not no longer enmity between god and us he has offered relationship now fellowship and friendship and all a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, relationship with God. He's, he's the one, he's offered that peace between God and, and man. There's no longer, he's no longer holding our trespasses against us. And now what he offers us is not, not a handshake, but now he's offering us a hand, a nail pierced hands, a palm up with gifts called grace unto us so that we can accomplish stuff that we don't have the ability to accomplish. He has offered the hand of provision to those that have a vision to offer that to serve other people. But he's offered friendship with us. He doesn't say, you're my servant. Now here's your to-do list. He says, you're my friend. I don't call you servants anymore. I've worked for a lot of bosses, and some of you have too, and some of you are bosses. You served other people in different capacities. Many of you serving in church and uh, on different jobs and things. I've done that. I've worked in hotels in, in uh, hospitality, going to college, Bible college. I've driven a limousine for a wealthy person in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was a servant, but a servant doesn't know the master's business. A servant isn't always in on the inside. They don't know exactly what's going on. They're a servant. They're an employee, if you will. But when you become a friend, it goes to a whole nother level. All of a sudden now, when you became a friend of God, you were no longer just a servant of God. You were serving people, but now you're a friend of God. So the ruler of the universe, the almighty one himself, the one that flung all that stuff out there into existence that people are still trying to figure out, uh, the one that people are exploring all the way out as far as they can, but they haven't even scratched the surface of that. That one says, hey friend, come on up. Let me share my heart. When I was driving the the, uh, limousine, it was a big stretch Cadillac limousine in Tulsa. It was cool for the time. I had a lot of privileges because I drove that limousine. I mean, it had a Sony TV in the back. We're talking 1985, 84, to watch Monday Night Football. The boss would go in to get plastered at the restaurant, pick up dignitaries, people that were, you know, business people, very wealthy people, pick them right up on the tarmac at Tulsa Airport, get them in, drive them wherever. It was a cool job. I remember going to, uh, the, there were different prayer seminars and faith seminars at RaMA uh, Bible College where I went and everybody else had to park somewhere way out there and all that. I'd just drive up with the limousine. They'd usher me straight through. They just figured out somebody important. So I'd just park right outside the door, get out with my tux on, go catch the prayer meeting while the boss is somewhere else getting drunk, like I said, doing business. Go in, get blessed, get back in the, in the stretch limousine. Off I'd go. Sit in the back, watch Monday Night Football. It was fantastic. What a great job that was. But there came a point where my boss, Frank Woods was his name, he, owned, he built something called Franklin Plaza in the middle of the city when Frank would, would, would be in the back of that limousine, I'd be driving around and he'd have a few drinks into him because there was a wet bar on the back, which I had to stock with all of his favorite booze. <laughs> and he'd, he'd, he'd say, Ed, from the south, like Mrs. Peterson. <laughs> said, Ed, said, pull over. Yes, sir, Mr. Woods, pull over get out, and he'd come up and sit with me in the front. He said, take me over to Oral Roberts University. I want to drive around those big praying hands. They had the City of Faith Hospital, a couple towers there. and They had these giant praying hands. I mean, they were massive things. They were pointed up toward that hospital. See, and it had a big circular drive around it. I don't know if you've ever, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Like a big roundabout around those huge praying hands. Frank would want me just to drive around. He'd say, drive around again, drive around again. Then he'd start talking some spiritual stuff. He'd start asking me about the Lord while he was drunk. People do amazing things. When they've had a few, they become another person, don't they? (laughs) So I think, okay, this is cool. Frank's been drinking. We go driving. and I get to tell him about Jesus. How cool is that? He was so hungry. There's like a void on the inside of him. And toward the end of our relationship, I was no longer just a servant or employed by Frank and Beverly. I was a friend to the point where I moved away, went back to San Diego, and he would write me all these letters. I'm thinking, man, like I really, you know, God really touched that guy's heart. I don't think he's alive today, but you know, God God ministered. Because I moved from servant to friend. You're not just a servant of God, you are a friend of God. If you do what he tells you to do, just obey him. Yes, he's the Lord, but he's not the taskmaster. He's not Pharaoh dishing out a to do list. The vision of our church isn't some big giant, this is what we're going to do this year. There's stuff that's going to flow out of the who that'll that'll blow all of our minds. I don't know what's going to happen, but God knows, but it's got to start with the character of Christ being built in us so that we're, we're uh, approved from, from offenses. We're offense proof. We've got character to walk through those situations. We've got character to reach those people out there that are very offensive. The ones, you know, that curse God and curse the church, that mock you and, and throw all kinds of abuses. You've got to walk through that darkness, but you won't walk through it without the grace of God. And provision will flow. God will get it to you if He can get it through you. God won't get it to you unless He can trust you and get it through you. Without a vision, my people, they perish. They cast off restraint. There's rioting without a vision. God's church isn't in a big riot. God's church is to be cohesive for a purpose, to work this thing out so that God can be doing something in our city that's amazing through each one of us individually and of course, cor- corporately. And he did it for Ezra. He did it for Nehemiah. He did it for Moses. He did it over and over again. People serving out of servanthood, but not just out of servant- serving people out of that, but serving God out of friendship. All of a sudden now, serving becomes a pleasure. Sacrifice becomes pleasure. When you've got friendship with God, all of these things become a pleasure now. I don't. I don't employ people to stand outside of our door on a Sunday morning to shake hands and be friendly. We don't even really have a team uh, that's that's appointed to do that. We we did, but the culture here shifted to where it's everybody. We all do it. We do it because it's because it's part of being a friend to God. So if we see somebody out parking the car, and I hope this was your experience if you're new with us this morning, if, if it, if it wasn't, I really apologize. It just means we got a lot of work to do. But if we don't do that spontaneously, if it doesn't flow out of us, then, then we've got to look at our relationship, our friendship with God, because our friend God loves people. Therefore, if I'm a friend of God, what am I supposed to do? I love people. Amen. I don't do it because it's my job. I do it out of relationship with Him, out of, out of my love for my Savior I love people. Therefore, His love compels me to walk across the room, introduce myself, open a door for somebody, ask how how can I help you? Are you new here? Let me show you around. I'll show you where you want to check your children in. I'll help you with that. We have had so many people walking past here that have come in and and become a friend of God through friendship of ours offered to them. I get excited about that. We're going to close. I'd like for a Ben to come up, and uh, the rest of the team just come on up. It becomes a pleasure to serve. Why? Because you know what your master's doing. Servants don't. Servants don't mingle with the guest on a friendship level. Friends do. Servants are just keep your mouth shut, drive the car, don't talk. Unless you talk to, answer the question, but keep driving. Friends is when... They want to sit with you and have a chat about something other than your job. And God promotes us to serving through friendship. Telling people about God is what a servant does, but introducing people to God is what a friend does. The beauty of it is when you're a friend of God, He shows you the possibilities. That's vision. He shows you the promises that He made. They come alive. All of a sudden now they become your promises, not just promises out there. Some people go, I just don't get it. You know, we're promised this, we're promised that, and you know, I don't see it. And possibly it's because you're not serving His vision. These things He provides them and he personalizes them through friendship your eyes get open to possibilities that you just don't see any other way possibilities of loved ones getting saved possibilities of a community getting transformed possibilities in business because resources again flow provision for vision all, all of these things part of the kingdom of god and seeking first his kingdom they're out there And they're offered through friendship, not just through servanthood. I think I've made my point on that. Next week, we're going to look at responsibilities that come out of friendship. He's given us this privilege. I'm going to close with this, but this really hit me one day about what it means and, and, and how cool is this. Like it just blew my mind to be a friend of God and to offer friendship with the people in my world, out of that. And I thought about all the people that I would like to be friends with, if I I could. I'd like to be friends with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. How many people, you know, he's massive. He's probably the most popular person as far as fame goes, according to Google anyway. I think it'd be cool to sit down with him for me to share the gospel with the rock. I'd love that. Hey, rock, man, awesome muscles, all the rest of it. But let me show you about some spiritual muscles. You've got creativity flowing out of you. Let me show you about Jesus. I'd like to be friends with Jeff Bezos, Amazon founder, sent Captain Kirk up in the space recently. William Shatner. I mean, how cool is that? He's the richest man last time I checked in the world. I mean, to sit down with him and to say, you know, I want to introduce you to somebody that's richer than you are. That's been to the furthest reaches of space, not just the moon or Mars. I'd like to be friends with Elon Musk. Just to listen to the guy, his brain, unpack some stuff but to talk to him about a dimension that he's looking for. I'd like to be friends with Adele. Wow, what a, what a voice. Woo, man, she can sing. Skyfall, no. <laughs> Massive. There's a whole bunch of people, I'm sure, in your world that you'd like to be friends with. But there's one person Oh, man, come on. There's one person that's bigger than all that. Somebody goes, where are you going? I'm going to church. What for? I'm just going to meet with one of my friends. Who's that? The one that created the whole universe, the galaxies, the sun, the moon, the planets. The one that loved me so much that he went to the cross for me and paid the price of every one of my inefficiencies. That friend, I'm going to go meet with him and hang out. I got a bunch of other friends that he says serve them. But you're my friend. I'm going to share some things with him. That's the one I'm hanging out with. Would you like me to introduce them to you? Would you like to hang out with them too? And that's what God's offered every one of us. All, everyone. Nobody's, a lim- nobody's not on the list. You're all on the invite list. The question is, will you take them up on it? Are you too busy? Somebody said right now, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock's out there waiting for you, Pastor Ed. I'd be like, I'll I'll wrap this up really quickly. I'm out the door. (laughs) Jeff Bezos is going to land in the car park and pick you up in his helicopter. You guys are going to go cruise around, have lunch together. I'm I'm wrapping this up really quick. (laughs) God is in the house. Oh, I think I'll be late. No hurry to get there. God is in the house. And I think I'll just uh, serve me, mine, ours. Spend it all on me, me, mine, I. God is in the house. What are you going to do? How therefore shall you live? What, what wouldn't you do? But it comes out of who? And that's the vision of City Church. Part of it, we're going to pick it up again next week. I want everybody here to close your eyes and let's pray. Father, I just thank you if you're watching um, right now online. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you've put your hand out in friendship that whosoever should believe in you should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, I just thank you right now. Let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, I give you my life. Amen. And amen. Come on, let's stand. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city church.net or email us your feedback at infocity at church.net.